Moses goes into the tent of meeting. But in the end of Exodus, the Bible says that the, that, that the presence of God came and filled the tabernacle. And there it remained. And eventually they build a temple, which is sort of the permanent structure. And then the, the, the presence of God is in that space. And it remains in that space. And it represents this is where God is. And inside the temple is the holy place, the most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant resides. Um, also talked about how in, in, in the person of Jesus, all of a sudden the presence shifted. No longer was the temple uh, where God was. All of a sudden He was born in the flesh. He was in the person of Jesus. Jesus uh, sort of was the, was the living embodiment of, of the presence. And He fulfilled um, sort of the purpose of the temple by becoming the new temple Himself. And, he, uh, and at the end of His ministry, of course, He's passing that on. He's passing on the presence in the person of the Holy Spirit. And we looked last week, at Pente- or the week before, about uh, Pentecost and how the Spirit comes, and all of a sudden the church is now where the Spirit is, is hosted. And this has been the promise of the Father all along. Um, and last week we looked at the abiding presence. What, what does it mean for the, the, the presence of God to, to rest in us, to be in us, to stay in us? Not just to come upon us sort of, you know, for a specific time and place like the, Old, like the Old Testament, but to stay in us all the time. What does it mean to do that? So uh, now we're looking at what, sort of the, the last of this, and that's the manifest or the visible presence. And the, last week, the big idea was this. The church that hosts the presence has cultivated an awareness of the presence. So that's the, that idea I've sort of been... Uh, percolating on this a lot just in the last few weeks. What does it mean to be aware, aware of the presence? And my challenge last week to you was to some practical ways that you could, walk, you could sort of develop this awareness, beginning to hear the voice of God specifically and, and beginning to, 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 to feel it and to walk with it and to maintain that and to, to act in it. So this week though, here's the, the question this week is what happens when what's abiding within spills out? Because we know that happens. What's, what happens when the abiding presence becomes the manifest presence or the visible presence? The presence becomes manifest or it becomes made known. So we're going to be in Acts chapter 3. I want to read this story um, and then kind of unpack this a little bit if we can. So let me read it and then we're going to go. It's in Acts chapter 3 beginning on verse 1. This is a, oh, this is such a great story, you guys. Um, it's, it's almost like this week I read it again for the first time because so many things jumping out at me. So I want you to sort of hear this with fresh ears. Hear this as if this report is coming to you for the first time and you haven't heard it. And this, by the way, Acts 3, Pentecost has just happened. These, some, this small band of believers in the room gathered together for a prayer meeting. This small band of believers has received the promise of the Father. They have received sort of the, the overflowing spirit that has rested upon them like, like tongues of fire. And all of a sudden, they're, they're, the, 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 the phenomenon, phenomenon of God sweeps through and they begin to speak in other languages and they go out into the streets. And then all of these other, uh, other nationalities begin to hear their word in their own languages. And this is pretty amazing. But Acts chapter 3 is the first real, true, supernatural miracle and I began to think this week when I was going over this, it's like, you know, what is going to be King's Church's first real supernatural miracle? You know, we're going to have one, right? You guys believe that? Okay, we're going to have one, I believe, soon. 
And we're going to be able to write it down and record and look back on our history and say, do you guys remember when on that Sunday morning such and such happened? Do you remember on that Friday fellowship when such and such happened? Now, we've seen it. I believe it. You know, we've seen healing and, and, um, and, and Lisa's mom, Penny, was, was healed of cancer and many other things. We see healing all the time. But in, in, terms of the, in terms of the impact of an Acts chapter 3 kind of a thing, visible, broadcast to the world, we're going to have one of, one of our own in the very near future. I'm ex- yeah, exactly. We're going to have a first one, though, is what I'm saying. We're going to have a, a first one that's going to kind of set the stage. So I love firsts. I love firsts in the Bible. And this is the first of many, many, many supernatural, big manifestations of the Spirit. And I love to see how this happens. How does this happen? How do these ordinary men who not even a few weeks before were denying Jesus, were running and hiding in fear for their own lives, and all of a sudden now they're doing incredible things that is shaking the foundations of the entire city where they are. Something has happened. Something has changed. Something is going on. And of course, we know what it is. It's the presence of God manifesting inside of them. So let's read this together. Acts chapter 3, verse 1. Oh, I've got to take a breath. I'm getting worked up. Here we go. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from him, from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold, I do not have, but what I do have, I give you in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were all filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened. All right, let me pray for us. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Lord, we're, we're, we're reading some incredible things. Lord, this is not myth. This is history. This is not make-believe. This is reality. This is not fairy tales, Lord. This is how your kingdom was at work and continues to be at work. So, Lord, we read this and we don't say, wow, wasn't that great? We read it and say, wow, what are you going to do? How are you going to do this again? So, Lord Jesus, make it so. Open our hearts, open our minds, open our ears to hear, to receive, to respond, to be transformed. Amen. So I mentioned Bill Johnson last week. He has the quote, we need to learn to host the presence so that we can release the presence. And Acts 2 and 3 is, a, is sort of a model of that. They're learning to host the presence and they're releasing the presence as well. And the story is just Oh, it's, it's, it's so, many, so many things in here. And I, you know, I kinda, I'm looking back at my own life and thinking, Lord, you know, uh, you've been teaching me the same thing. You've been, you've been walking me down this same path. You know? And so much of my own training and my own background and my own sort of religious upbringing was, was very much about this internal, you know, about the, the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit inside you know, that would transform, which is true. You know, and, and, but it was so much of an external thing, and, and at least in my thinking, 
you know, there wasn't a whole lot given to releasing this presence out into the world. Maybe they did, you know, maybe my Sunday school teachers or whoever, you know, the teachers were at my time, maybe they did begin to teach this, but for some reason it didn't sink in. I was kind of fixated on just, you know, allowing God to be inside of me to make me a better person, to make me feel better, to make me behave better, to make me function as a, as a better husband or son or whatever it was. And I didn't give a whole lot of thought to, okay, but for what purpose? What does God want to do, not in me, but through me out to the world? And it really, it wasn't until I began to sort of walk, swim in these waters of, of the Spirit-filled life that I began to realize this is all, it's all part of it together. Jesus doesn't just want to transform my heart. He also wants to put His Spirit in me to impact the world around me. And I think that's the same of His church. He doesn't just want the Spirit to stay in here. He wants the Spirit to also be out there through us. We need to learn how to host the presence so we can release the presence. So I want to give you some principles of releasing the presence that I believe come from this story. We're going to unpack the story together. Principles for releasing the presence. Again, I got six. So maybe Chuck has the seventh one. I don't know. I had six last week, and six is an imperfect number, which means there's probably more to come, right, as the Lord does this. So this story, Peter and John, and this... uh, it seems pretty innocuous what, what's happening here, but let me, just, let me just begin with this one. The first principle of releasing the presence is simply to live in community. And that, that originally wasn't in my thinking. I had all of these other ones in there. I had all these other things that I want to tell you about, but I, all of a sudden the Lord said, Brad, read verse 1. And I went back and I began to read it. And he stopped me five words into it. One day, Peter and John. And the Lord, I feel like the Lord said, there is power in community. There's power in partnership. There's power in walking together. There's power in being together. We know that. We know that that's why Jesus called the 12. That's why he called the three. There's something about doing. He sent them out in pairs. He sent the 72 out in pairs together. There's something about standing with one another as we come together where, where, where it's just, we, we, we have a greater manifestation of the, of the Spirit through us. So the previous chapter, look at how chapter, chapter, uh, look how chapter 2 ends. Just a few verses before the story that I just read. The fellowship of the believers, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship. Everyone was filled with awe. Many wonders, wonders and signs were done by the apostles. Verse 44, all the believers were together and had everything in common. So it begins with this description of kingdom community, and it begins with the same description of kingdom community. Peter and John together are going up to the temple as a place of, uh, to, to pray. And then chapter 4 ends with the same way. The very end of chapter 4 says this, all the believers were one in heart and mind. And guys, we, 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 especially in America, especially in our culture, we've sort of been taught that it's you know, so much of an obligation rests on each individual to, to individual to do, you know, things by themselves. It's kind of the old American way, you know, and, and in reality, God has called us to do this together. So I think that's the very first principle of, of release is we're going to stand together. We're going to stand side by side, not just in proximity. We're all in proximity this morning, but that's not enough. It's not enough just to sit next to somebody or shake their hand or say, how you doing? But really to go into a deeper level of community, a deeper level of relationship. 
where we really do share one another's burdens and share one another's concerns. We're sharing and doing life together. That was kind of a simple catchphrase in, in ministry. Let's, let's do life together, right? You know, and I kind of got tired of hearing that, but I get what it is. I understand what it means. It means we just don't show up on Sunday morning. It means we are invested in one another's life. And Peter and John and the, 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 the disciples, they were the same way. They were sharing their lives together. They were spending moments together. They were in each other's homes, and they're going to the temple together. They're going to prayer meeting together. So I think that, that, that idea, the first principle is to live in community. Here's the second one. So Peter and John, they're going to the temple at the time of prayer, and that's important to pay attention to. They weren't going at the time of sacrifice. They were going at the time of prayer. And that's, uh, I love what Chuck was sharing this morning. There's something about that. There's something about Pentecost came during a prayer meeting. This happens at a prayer meeting. Powerful things are going to be happening whenever we come together as a church for prayer, whenever we come together for the purpose of interceding and, uh, and stepping in. So there at the, at the time of prayer, three in the, three in the afternoon, verse 2 says, Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John, and Peter said, look at us. So the second principle is we need to cultivate attentiveness. And here's what I'm trying to get my mind. So first of all, there's this idea of external attentiveness. What's happening around me? What, what's going on in the world? I'm on the lookout. You know, I, and I, I know some people, and may, maybe you're this way too, you know, those of you that have a gift of healing, every time you go out, you're looking for somebody that you can go and pray for. You know, do you know people like that, that are, are, are so anointed with healing that everywhere they go, oh, he's got crutches, let's go pray for him, right? I love that. That's this external attentiveness to the world around me. I am aware of what's going on. But here's the interesting thing. Peter, Peter, Peter and John, this is, not, this is not their first time to the temple for prayer, this is not the first time, likely, that they've seen this fella right there. The Bible makes it very clear he is there every single day. I, I, I'd, I'd really, guys, I really had to wrestle with this idea of day after day after day, they have passed him by. It's possible Jesus would have passed him by. You guys notice that Jesus did not heal every single sick person in the land of Israel. There's something about this that day after day, he's there. The Bible says later on that he's 40 years old. They would have seen him before now, yet there's something different today. And I begin to think, okay, so that's not just an external awareness now, there's an internal awareness that these disciples are tapping into. They've cultivated this sense. Now, something has shifted in the spiritual realm. Something is different about today. Maybe it's something about the, 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 man's, the, 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 the lame man's faith. Maybe something is different in his own mind. Maybe something has, has sort of changed in his thinking, and now he is more receptive to, to healing. Maybe his faith has grown. Maybe there's sort of some shifts in their own thinking now. And now they're thinking, okay, you know what? This is different. Everything is different because of what happened just before Pentecost. So there's, there's this external awareness. I'm aware of the needs around me, and I'm also aware of what's happening in the kingdom realm, and I'm willing to act on that. So this is what's interesting. It says he... When he saw Peter and John, he asked them for money. 
It's what he's been doing all his life. Every day he's asking for money. Please give me money. You guys have seen him. You see people out here on the side of the road holding up the signs. I need money. Can you help me out? And this is the custom is that the people would walk by on the way to the temple and they would put alms out for him. This is his way of living. This is his way of sustaining. Day after day, person after person, ching, 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 money falls in there. He probably has a friend who will go and buy him some food or carry him home at night or whatever it is. This is nothing out of the ordinary. Peter, verse 4, Peter looked straight at him as did John. I love that verse and I still, I'm not 100% sure I understand really what the Spirit of God means by those words. Peter looked straight at him. John looked straight at him as if they're looking in and they're seeing something that's not there. They stop what they're doing, they give their attention to the need, and they look, and they wait. And it says, then Peter said, look at us. He tells the man, look at us. So the man was probably like, hey, fellas, can you give me some money? Hey, lady, can you give me some money? So there's one to the next, you know? And didn't even stop. He just sort of yelled at them to give some money, and all of a sudden, Peter and John say, hey, 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 over here, look, look at us. And the man stops, like, all right, guy's got some money for me. These guys look like, okay, hey, I'll look at you. I'll do whatever you need to. If you're going to put some money in, in, my, in my bowl here, let's go for it. Peter looked straight at him as did John. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. We need to, I need to continue to cultivate real awareness of what's going on around me. And like, friends, I'm going to tell you, I can be the worst at this. I can be so obtuse. I can be so tuned out to what's going on. My, my children and my wife can attest to this. They will tell me something and then 10 minutes later I will have no idea what they said. And I've got to develop this in my own life of being aware what's going on around me. Where are the needs? But more than that, what's going on in the kingdom realm? What is the Spirit of God saying to do? And undoubtedly, Peter and John were, 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 very, were aware in this level. But then the third thing is, third principle is to practice generosity. Practice generosity. He says this, verse 6, Peter said, silver and gold I don't have. Why does he not have silver and gold? Anybody? Because he just gave it away. Undoubtedly, he gave it away because verse 45 of the previous chapter says, selling their possessions and goods, they gave to everyone as he had need. So knowing Peter, knowing the disciples, they probably could not keep a dollar in their pocket at any given time. They weren't stockpiling money in their pockets. They didn't have bank accounts. I was listening to reading this uh, Francis Chan book called um, uh, Letters to the Church. Great story. He talks about his shift from the mega church into, um, sort, of into sort of the smaller little communities of the kingdom you know some of them are meeting in houses some are meeting in rooms like this you know many of most of them not bigger than 50 or 75 people or so you know and he's sort of helping to start this movement you know and he was talking about finances in the church and he made this statement he's like he says we pretty much keep a zero balance in our in our in our checking account for our churches and that got my attention I'm like what what do you mean francis chan zero balance and he would say we would get money in and we just write a check and we would send it off you know We'd give it away. We'd send it to this mission group. We'd send it to this organization. He said, one time, we were at our staff meeting, and the financial treasurer came in. He said, we have no money in our accounts. And they took a picture of the phones with the zero balances for the church accounts. They took a picture of all of that. It was a matter of pride for them. It's like, look at this. We have nothing. We're giving it away. 
And Peter said, Peter, Peter and John said, look, we don't have anything to give you, buddy. Don't have a dollar to our name. If I did, you know, and, and I begin to wonder, okay, here, how would things be different if he had that? Think about this. What if he had silver and gold? What do you likely think might have happened, at least if it were me there? I would have said, sure, buddy. Here you go. God bless you in Jesus' name. Chink. Go on my way. But he says, I don't have anything, but all that I have, I'm going to give to you. And the guy probably in that split second was very confused. There you go. Okay, you don't have anything to your name, but everything you have, you're going to give to me. But he's going to give him something, obviously, of far, far greater worth. Out of his poverty, out of his emptiness, he's going to give something of immeasurable value. But the, but the idea there, though, is a practice of generosity. And I began to think about this in my own life. You know, if, if I'm willing to hoard the $20 or so that I might have, the $50 that I might have, if I'm willing to hoard that, and this is not, this is not about timeout. This is not about tithing or giving in the church. This is not what this is about. This is just about generosity in general, right? That's it. Okay, time in. If I can't part with this 20 bucks to help somebody in need, how am I going to be trusted to give the everlasting wealth of the kingdom to someone then? Right? If I can't part with this pittance of change in my hand, then how in the world am I going to release the blessings of the kingdom onto someone? And they remember, I, I believe this, I believe the Spirit brought back the words of Jesus to them who said, free, he talks to his disciples when he was on earth, he said, freely you have received. In other words, you didn't do anything to earn this, guys. You didn't, you didn't deserve it, right? You didn't earn it. You're not the smartest and the best and the brightest and the most deserving. Jesus says, freely you've received, now freely give. That's the economics of the kingdom. We receive, we give. Comes into our hands, we turn it over. Comes into our hands, we turn it over. We're just, we're just a pass-through. That's all we are, right? What, Lisa, there's a name for that kind of account in accounting, right? That where money comes in and money goes out, right? We're not meant to be a savings account. We're just meant to pass it on through. So he says, silver and gold I don't have, but everything I have I'm going to give to you. And that leads us to the fourth principle. Exercise authority. Exercise authority. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would comfort this man in his affliction. No. Lord, if it's your will, would you give him strength in his legs? Heal through the doctors. Simply says this in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Exercise authority. We proclaim impossible things. How can we proclaim impossible things? Because we are convinced of our own authority. Not our own own authority, but the authority given to us by Jesus. How can we proclaim impossible things as a church? How do we do that? How do we stand in front of people and say, your addictions can be broken today? 
You can be healed today. You can be freed of sin today. You can know the love of the Father today. How do we do that? It's because we are convinced of our own authority in Jesus. And Peter began to understand that. He understands authority. He's practiced this with Jesus. He was one of the ones sent out to do this. He's been doing this already. It's not the first time he has commanded healing. It's the first, really the first one that we see of him orchestrating it. The Bible says that he takes him then in Acts, right here in the story. It says, taking him by the right hand. You know what the right hand is? It's a symbol of authority. It's a place of authority. The, Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. It's a symbol of strength. Paul, Peter reaches down and takes him by the right hand and pulls him up. And authority must be acted upon. And Peter acts upon that. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. That's the fifth one, is to walk in boldness. Exercise authority and walk in boldness go together. And the rest of this story, there's glimpses of, 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 of these men now with a courage that they didn't have before. Chapter, verse 13 says... Uh, that when they, they being the, the religious leaders of the law, by the way, these Peter and John, they were arrested, they were herded, they were brought in, they were thrown in jail overnight, they were brought in before the Sanhedrin, they were accused of all kinds of things, and they're saying, how in the world did you do this? By what name and by what power did you do this? And they say, well, if you're really interested in knowing, it's by the name of Jesus Christ whom you crucified already. And it says this, it says, when they, the religious leaders, saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, unlike themselves. They were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. And they, 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 these, these men, these, these leaders of the law, these religious, you know, muckety-mucks, pull these two yokels in from Galilee who sound like they're hillbillies. They don't have an education. But for some reason, these men have set the town on fire. We can't understand it. How in the world are you doing this? They begin to realize these. Ah, we recognize this power. We recognize this authority. We recognize this boldness. You're followers of that Jesus of Nazareth, aren't you? They understand it. They have been with Jesus. And at the end of the story, sort of they're, they're, they're released, they're, they're chastised. Don't do this anymore. Don't teach and preach and do anything in, 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 in the name of Jesus anymore, which is, of course, ridiculous. And that's what Peter says. Peter's like, okay, guys, really? Think for yourselves. Are we going to obey you or are we going to obey God? And it says that at the end, they go back and they report to the church and the church celebrates with them and they pray. What do they pray for? They don't pray, Lord, please don't let this happen again. They actually pray that it will happen again. They pray for more boldness. They pray that, 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 that greater things would happen. And God answers in verse 31 of, the, of, of chapter 3, it says this, or verse of chapter 4, it says, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. So that's the fifth one, is to walk in boldness. And finally, number six is this. After those things, witness kingdom expansion. 
And that sixth one is different because that's not something that we can actively do. We don't, we don't cause this to happen. This is a result of these things here. As we live in community with one another, as we practice attentiveness both externally to the world around us and internally to the kingdom and what's happening in the spiritual realm, as we practice giving away of ourselves, giving of our time, giving of our love, giving of our hearts and energies and our our homes, and exercising authority, knowing who we are, knowing that Jesus has promised us, that all the, all the resources of the kingdom are ours, as we walk in boldness, unashamed of the gospel, not caring what others think, not caring of the cost, as these things happen, we're going to witness not just kingdom expansion, we're going to witness spontaneous kingdom expansion. And that's a great word. You know what spontaneous means? That means that we don't have to like, you know, we don't have to map it out in our church strategy meetings. Right? We don't have to plan it out with our bullet points of like, okay, well, how are we going to do this? How are we going to build our church? Jesus never tells us to build our church. He's going to build the church. He's going to expand His kingdom. We can participate in it by doing these things, but at the end of this, all we need to do is, to be a, is simply to stand back and witness His kingdom is going to be spontaneously expanding, catching fire all around us. And we don't have to make that happen. And that, i got to tell you what, as, as, as a pastor here, it takes a lot of pressure off me. It takes a lot of pressure off Brian, doesn't it? We don't have to fuss with all these things. We have to worry about church growth. You know what? I don't count heads here. I don't know how many people we had last week. I don't know how many we have this week. I think I counted the very first Sunday. I care because I care about people, but it's not my job to do that. It's not my job to fill these seats. And ultimately, it's not really your job to fill these seats either. It is your job, though, to do these things, to release the presence wherever you go. And we can do this together. And as we release the presence together, we're going to see our church begin to grow because growth is a good thing, isn't it? Is growth a good thing? Listen to this. We're not responsible for building this church, but growth and expansion is a natural result of manifesting the presence Pentecost, how many people were up in the room? We don't know for sure. Some people say 120, maybe. It wasn't a whole lot. I think it was probably less than 120. A little bit of people there. The Spirit falls at Pentecost. The next number that's reported is what? 3,000 people. So you're going from roughly 100, 120 people to 3,000 within a day. That's crazy church growth. They're not, we're not ready for that. Nobody can manage that. Nobody can make that happen with church growth conferences and strategies and direct card, direct mail pieces in the mailbox. Nobody can make that happen with this awesome sort of, you know, worship set up here. Nobody can make that happen with a great clever sermon series. Nobody can grow a church like that. But the Holy Spirit can when His fire falls and His presence is released through the disciples into the world. So it keeps on going. 3,000 were added to their number. And the Bible says plus more daily. Every day there's more people showing up. Every day there's more people coming into their houses. Every day there's more people saying, tell me about Yeshua. Tell me about the cross. What does it mean? We've heard about it. What does it mean? Tell me, what do I need to do to enter into the kingdom of heaven? How can I be a part of what God is doing? Every day more and more are coming. Then it says this, after this miracle in the temple... After this releasing of the presence, it says this, but many who heard the message believed. And the number of men, men, 
Just the men grew to about 5,000 people. That's another 2,000. That's a megachurch. Who does this? An increasing daily. Chapter 5 says, More and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. This is spontaneous kingdom expansion. I want to see both of those things. I want to see expansion, but I also want to see it spontaneously happening, happening as a result of the overflow, as a result of the Spirit being released through us. I don't have the strength or the smarts to grow this church. I got to tell you, I don't. I'm not interested in trying to figure it out either. This is what I'm interested in. That's it. Doing it with you guys. This is what I'm interested in. I don't want to do it alone. Megan and I don't want to do it alone. Brian, we don't want to do this. We want to do it with you guys. I believe this is what God wants for King's Church as well. The presence is in me for my sake, but upon me for yours. That's what Bill Johnson said. He's in me. He's abiding in me. He's resting in me daily for my sake. In other words, he's within me to bring me close to the Father, right? To build the character of Christ in me, to sanctify my heart, to bring me comfort and encouragement. He's in me all the time for that purpose, but he's upon me. In other words, he's manifesting upon me and through me for yours. And I, would all, I probably would say, not just yours, but theirs out there. We could say it this way. I think it's up here. As His Spirit lives in us and is revealed through us, His kingdom expands around us. Spirit is in us, being revealed through us, and the kingdom is going to be expanding around us. We're going to see it. We're already seeing it. Live in community, cultivate attentiveness, practice generosity, exercise authority, walk in boldness, and witness spontaneous kingdom expansion. And so much of the rest of this book is just one story after another of this kind of thing, of the church on fire, like a wildfire. I just, I just can't help but think of these connections between what's happening in California and then what God wants to do. It's, I, don't, I, I don't want to minimize that or overlook the horror of losing life. But I can't escape the parallels. How does fire spread? Through wind that blows when there's a need, when there's dryness, when there's fuel, and the winds come in and just blow and it just consumes everything. The fire just doesn't come in and leave some things untouched. You know, when, when the fire line moves all through, it leaves nothing untouched. The good news is, is that the Spirit of God, though, is not, it's, He's not destructive. The Spirit of God is not capricious and arbitrary. His consuming fire is a fire of love, holiness, 
He will burn out a lot of the junk in our hearts and in our lives. But more than that, He just wants to have a fire of love that blows through. Fire of joy that just comes in and blows through. And, and, and all of this, this week and last week and all of this, this whole idea of indwelling, I, I, if, I, if I stop and think about it, I, I know I have not done justice to what is in my heart. And I don't say that for you to say, oh, you've done great, or so whatever. I just, I'm being honest with you that I don't feel I've done justice to what's in the burden in my heart for this kind of reality. And that's okay, you know, because we're actually going to teach on this probably every year and a half, two years or so. Because this is so integral to who we are and to what our mission is. Indwelling, hosting the presence of God, hosting the Spirit of God. So if you're not interested in that, I want to tell you, because this is what we're about. We're not ashamed of it, but that's it. Amen? And there's good days ahead, guys. I'm so excited about the days ahead. I'm so excited about what's in store. And, and, and I think Chuck, Chuck was right when he was talking about we're, we're in this season of pre- preparation. We're in this season of, of, of learning to be this kind of community. We're in this season of being prepared and, and cultivated. And we're growing in this, but there are some days to come that are going to blow your minds. There's some things that are around the corner that's just going to expand your understanding of what God's kingdom is and can be. There are people right now that you can think of and say, there is no way I can see them being a part of the kingdom. And I promise you, you're going to see those ones, tears rolling down their eyes, face down before the Lord. Because that's the power of the gospel. That's the power of the kingdom. We're going to see addictions broken here in this room. We're going to see sick made well in this room. We're going to see miracles happening in this room and in your homes. Wherever you go, you're going to carry the kingdom with you. You're going to be walking in power that you've not known before. You're going to be taking risks and doing things and surprising yourself at doing them. You know, and you're not going to be driven by duty. Let me say this. You're not going to be driven by duty at all. You're going to be drawn by love. Such a difference in those two things. We'll never be a church that, call, that, 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 that's, that, that compels people by, pushes people as a sense of duty or guilt. Never. Never do that. Never go out and, and, and share the kingdom out of a sense of duty or obligation. If that's where you are, go back to your prayer closet. Be on your face. Be on your face before the Lord and just ask the Lord, Lord, let me be driven by love. Let boldness be the overflow of my heart. Just, I believe that's what's in the future for us. Brian, come on up. I'm going long. I want to pray. We're going to pray.